Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. I went and had lunch Thursday at China King. It's over there by Schnooks in that Schnooksy Center, whatever that place is called. I had honey chicken. The meal came with a fortune cookie. I cracked it open. Great news. In fact, I have it. You probably can't read it. You will soon embark on a successful business venture. All right. That's good news. But it's not near as good news as the back. 5, 10, 22, 23, 37, 44. Six numbers to enter in the lottery. What a return on a $6 meal. So if I enter these numbers into the lottery, will I be a rich man? I doubt it. So did Thomas. So here's how the story goes. The disciples were in a locked room. They were hiding, frankly. The religious had already executed Jesus and they didn't know who was next. And they had some perplexing News. Mary Magdalene said that she had been to the tomb and that Jesus had appeared to her. That at first she didn't recognize him. She thought that he was the gardener until he called her by name. That he was risen. But Mary Magdalene had a checkered history and her relationship with Jesus was so important to her that his loss might have triggered some issues And then there he was, in the midst of the locked room. And he showed them his hands in his side. Thomas, for some reason, was not there. And when Thomas came, the disciples said, We saw the Lord. The Lord is risen. And Thomas said, I doubt it. In fact, he said far more than that, didn't he? He said, unless I put my fingers into his wounds, I will not. Not I can't. I will not believe. Doubting Thomas. Can we talk about doubt? Is it okay to talk about doubt in church? Do Christians doubt? Do you ever have doubts? Paul, the great apostle, missionary, 
the one who had that conversion on the road to Damascus. He had been Saul, who persecuted the Christians. Then he became Paul, the great evangelist. Paul seems to intimate that, yeah, we have doubts. In that classic passage, he says we are pressed hard on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And the interesting thing there is the Greek word translated as perplexed, as we all know, is apareomai, which means, guess what? Doubt. In fact, there are some versions of the Bible that actually use that word there. So Paul seems to intimate that, yeah, sometimes we wonder about stuff, but our doubt does not defeat us. Two things we want to talk about today, but each of those two things has three things under it. We want to talk about doubt causes, and we want to talk about doubt cures. Here are three doubt causes, things that cause us to doubt. They all start with the letter C. Here's the first one, critics. The Bible calls them scoffers, but that does not start with a C. Scoffers are those who say all this God stuff is just malarkey. The scoffers not only challenge, here's what they do, they ridicule. And we all know people like that, eh? One of my best buddies is a scoffer. And I'm an enigma to him because he considers me relatively intelligent and he can't quite understand how I can believe what he thinks of as foolishness, voodoo, he's even called it. I take my walks every morning, I've told you that a few times, and there's a sign that I came across, and on the sign it says, we believe in science, not a fairy tale about a guy in the sky. My experience is that scoffers have become more vocal and vitriolic over the years. Here's a second cause of doubt. This one is a little more insidious. If, if critics are external, this next one is internal. Conscience, our conscience. See, if we have a guilty conscience, it's going to impact our spiritual life, and if that guilty conscience goes unchecked, eventually we marginalize God because we can't deal with doubt. We can't deal with guilt And if we're feeling guilty, we do one of two things. We either change the behavior or we change the standard that says we're wrong. I got a speeding ticket once. Years ago. I was doing, ready, 35 in a 30. Thanks, Joe. Same way I felt. And so I had this little internal rant. Who does 35 and a 30? What? And it wasn't in a neighborhood. This was a main street. Who, who sets 30 as a speed limit? I go 30 back and out of the driveway. What kind of stuff is this? What's the cop doing there in the middle of the day? Don't they have some real criminals they can be after? What kind of law enforcement agency is this? So you hear what I was doing? Rather than admit I was wrong completely undermined the standard that said I was. People do that to God all the time. 
They got something going on in their life about which they feel guilty, but rather than change that behavior, they attack the standard that says they're wrong. I remember I did a funeral years ago, and the guy came up to me after, and at kind of the reception. He intentionally sought me out. He was going to have a conversation with me. And he came up and he said, oh, that was just a great message. He was so highly complimentary, highly complimentary. And I'm like, well, thank you. And then he says, but I don't believe any of it. I said, okay. He said, if I believed in God and what the Bible says, I would have to change the way I live, and I don't want to. Honest. Critics, conscience, and here's a third cause of doubt, circumstances. It's a messy world in which we live. There's a lot of hurt, a lot of sorrow, a lot of tragedy, and people wonder, okay, where's God? How could God allow 9-11? Explain it. How could God allow a tsunami that wipes out a quarter million people at a crack? How could God allow hundreds of Christians to be massacred on Easter Sunday? How can God allow a child to starve? See, the world is kind of a hot mess. And then people hear a story about a loving God, and in their mind, it doesn't fit. That's what happened to George Carlin. Remember George Carlin? Brilliant humorist. Probably one of the most vocal anti-Christian voices there were. He was raised Catholic. He went to a Catholic high school. He had bought in until he got out in the world, and he said, it just didn't make any sense. How could there be so much sorrow with a loving God? Love the story of the disciples in the boat, and there's a big storm, and Jesus is sound asleep in the back. Remember this story? Big storm. And so what the disciples did was they woke him up. Here's the first thing they said. Don't you care? Don't you care? There's a storm going on in my life. Don't you care? If, if God cares, if God is a loving God, how can there be hurt in the world? Three causes of doubt. Critics, conscience, circumstances. Let's flip it. Let's talk about how do we deal with doubt. Three things. Here's the first thing. Admit it. Admit your doubts. Acknowledge them. See, Christians don't like to do that. We're almost afraid of acknowledging that on occasion we wonder. It's like we think if we have doubt there must be something wrong and then the whole thing just falls apart. Like there isn't room for just a good, honest, legitimate question. Like, like John the Baptist asked, remember him? He was in prison, he was about to die, and he sent disciples to Jesus with this question, are you the Messiah or are you not? And remember, John the Baptist is the one who pointed to Jesus at the River Jordan and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, he's saying, are you really? circumstances caused him to doubt. And Jesus sent word to John to reassure him. He didn't condemn him. He didn't say, what kind of prophet are you? In fact, he said John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born after John expressed his doubts. We can acknowledge, sometimes we wonder. In fact, in my mind, the greatest faith comes out of struggle with 
doubt. There's a second cure for doubt. Doubt your doubts. See, here's what we do. We doubt our beliefs and then we believe our doubts. How about doubt your doubts? Proverbs 3, 5, we know that one by heart, don't we? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and rely not on your own insight. The old King James used to say, lean not on your own understanding. What a passage. In that passage, God says, look, your insight isn't right. And we rely on insight for everything. We go with our gut. We trust our instinct. And in that passage, God says, it's not going to work. Proverbs 14, there is a way that seems right to a man, a way that seems right. Everything about it makes sense. It fits everything. It's instinct, insight, everything. It looks like the way to go. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Hear what that says? That in a lot of ways, instinct and insight are fine, except for matters of spirit when they're unreliable and we need to listen to God. Acknowledge our doubts, doubt our doubts, and then start with what faith we've got. Might be just a little. Great story in Mark chapter 9. Jesus, Peter, James, John came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and a father was there with an epileptic son. The father had brought the son to the disciples to see if they could heal him. They could not. So Jesus came down the mountain. The father ran up to Jesus and said, if you're able to do anything, please have compassion on us. And Jesus said, if, if I'm able to do something, all things are possible to those with faith. And the father said this, Remember these words? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Is it possible to have doubt and faith at the same time? Of course. In fact, in my little head, faith is not the absence of doubt. It's choosing to have faith despite the doubt. Lord, I believe, but I got holes in the fabric of my faith that you're going to have to help fill in. And here's a critical understanding. Faith may be frail, fragile, but it's enough. No matter how itty-bitty it might be. That's the whole mustard seed thing, remember? Faith the size of a mustard seed can say to a mountain, move, and the mountain dances away. It's not the size of our faith. It's what we put it in. Little faith, big God. Big results. And doubt cannot defeat us if we start with what we have because the God we put it in is enormous. So what are you doubting today? What's, what's on your mind? What's on your heart? What's going on in there? Is there some big hurt in your life right now? And you're wondering if God really cares. How could God care if this is going on in my life? And I got this illness, I got this thing, I got this situation. Kind of like the disciples who said, don't you care? Maybe some of us doubt our forgiveness. Maybe we don't feel like God can forgive us. Maybe we've asked for forgiveness but are still feeling guilty as if God can't or won't forgive, or as if the cross is not enough and we somehow have to 
do our part by feeling badly. Would you know this today? God is for you. God is so for you. God is all for you. Lovely passage in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? And it goes on. It says, He who spared not his own son, but offered him up for us all, will he not also give us all good things? If he's done this for us, how can we not trust him in our life? Interesting, isn't it, that the cross, which makes no sense to the world at all. In fact, what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? We preach Christ crucified, a scandal to those who think they're good enough and foolishness to those who think they know better. Makes no sense to the world. It's right there that we cling. It's right there we stake our faith. And the message of the cross is absolutely astounding that the sinless Son of God was offered as the sacrifice for us all and in Him we are completely redeemed and restored. But it's right there we cling. And when we cling, nothing can defeat us. You know what I I like about the whole Doubting Thomas thing? I like how it ended. Don't you? Eight days later, Thomas was with the disciples and Jesus appeared this time. And I, what I like is Jesus didn't look at John or Thomas and go, what's up with you? He didn't upbraid him. He didn't say, man, did I pick a loser for a disciple here? He just said, Thomas, come here. Just come here. Put your hand here. Touch me. Hold me. Feel me. I'm real. And Thomas offered one of the most profound professions of faith in all the scriptures. My Lord and my God. A couple of minutes. We're going to come right up here, if you choose. And essentially, Jesus is going to say to us, touch me, hold me, feel me. I'm real. And as we lift the cup, we're able to say, my Lord and my God. And so be it. Amen.